1: Laura, school
0: Mum, just
1: two minutes My recital's tomorrow I know, you can stream your lesson in the car With total dedication backed by Ireland's best performing mobile network amazing things can happen You got it Enjoy super fast streaming on Vodafone Pay As You Go Switch today in store or online and get up to €100 off a range of smartphones Vodafone, together we can Offer subject to availability. Claims based on network test results conducted by Umlaut on three major networks in February and March 2021. Terms apply. See Vodafone.ie for full terms. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Points, Planet F1's very own podcast. Well, I'm sure as you're aware, the 2020 Formula One season is done, uh, 2020 as a year is done and well the first season of this podcast is almost done as well but uh, not quite yet because to wrap things up we've got a season review uh, on the way today. I'm your host Finney Cribolder and joining me is not the Planet of One editor Michelle Foster as she is currently on holiday but um, instead we've got Alex McLaughlin. Um, Alex thanks for coming on.
0: Nice, alright. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh discussing what's been a roller coaster of a season.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was uh yeah, definitely a roller coaster. It was uh, like no other. Um well how are you how are you finding the the post Formula One season world? How are you feeling your weekends now?
0: Uh I'm I'm missing it. Like everyone else, I'm I'm missing it dearly. Especially with how entertaining this season proved to be. The weekends just aren't the same anymore I'm just uh counting down the days till March to be honest
1: yeah hopefully hopefully March 18th but it looks like we'll have to wait a week longer for that but uh hey what's a week I suppose and we got testing coming up so there's that so you know like you said it is a roller coaster of year, so that we definitely have a lot to talk about and um yeah in terms of the format how we'll do this is we'll start at the top with the with the top teams, go into the midfield fight and then talk about the back backmarkers. Um, so starting at the top, there's really only one place to start um, because, you know, we say discuss the title fight, but there really wasn't much of a title fight at all, largely because of the brilliance of Lewis Hamilton. You know, obviously this is his seventh world title. In terms of, you know, where do you think this ranked in terms of his uh, successes?
0: Oh, wow. I, I think it was... It was up there with one of his best. With the uh, the pressure he must have felt uh, this year, with it being such a significant season for breaking all those records that he did, and putting some of the performances he did that he did. I think some of the highlights that stand out for me from Lewis was uh, the Turkish Grand Prix. I mean, was, that was a brilliant. What what a way to win the seventh world championship. It's like it was uh, written in stone. And then the uh, the pole. Lap in the Styrian Grand Prix as well. That was incredible to uh, bounce back from uh, what was a poor start to the season for Lewis at the um, Austrian Grand Prix. And to put in the lap that he did in Styria, well, it, it was incredible. And, yeah, it, it, it's just another great season for the team as a whole, really. they just We, we thought it was going to be a, a three-horse race at the beginning of the season, but then right from the get-go, it just... It just turned into the Mercedes show again, didn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was the Mercedes show and the Hamilton show. I think uh, it's just, yeah, like you said, um, I mean, there was massive pressure on him coming into this year, you know, breaking all those records um, at his age as well. I mean, he's he's definitely not a young driver anymore. You know, I think he's at the point where most drivers would start to be start to be dropping off Um And he just, he gave no indication of that whatsoever. You know, you mentioned his Turkish Grand Prix win. Um, And I mean, there were so many weekends where he just looked completely on another level to the rest of the grid. And yeah, I know that he does have the best car on the grid pretty comfortably. Um, But even so, I think in the way he was driving, it was really difficult to see. Anyone stopping him? Um, to be honest, obviously Valtteri Bottas had the same car as him, and Bottas, Bottas never came close. I mean, we didn't after he won the first race of the season. That was, that was the only point in which you looked at it and you thought that he could challenge Hamilton for the title. Um, do you think that's that's mainly due to how good Hamilton is, or do you think that's due to Bottas not really being good enough for for a title?
0: I think Bottas is. A good driver. I think he's uh, he's shown he's got really good pace in qualifying. I think he's one of the only teammates who I've seen push Lewis as much as he has done in a qualifying setting. But when it comes to the race day pace, he just doesn't seem to have an answer for him most of the time. Um, I mean, the his best Bottas's best performance of the year for me was the season opener in Aust- in Austria. But yeah, I, I do think Bottas is. Worthy of a championship win, his his, um, his biggest weakness, unfortunately, is that his teammates with a seven-time world champion.
1: Maybe with the exception of Verstappen, I think Hamilton is probably the worst teammate on the grid to have. You know, in terms of, Definitely. in terms of, yeah, in terms of being able to match them. Um, I mean, yeah, I think Bottas is. I do think he was somewhat treated harshly in a way. By well, the world as a whole, I think, um, because you know he did have a lot of bad luck as well, to be fair, um
0: he did he did yeah, yeah,
1: right. yeah, and like you said, in qualified he was he pushed Hamilton hard a lot of the time, um you know it is, w- yeah yeah he he got quite- he got his <clears throat> fair share of poles and when when he didn't, there was often you know less than a tenth between them, so I think over one lap he's he's not that far off Hamilton, but the difference between them in one lap when you put that into a whole race you know that gap ends up being pretty sizable Um, one thing
0: one thing I did notice was um like you say with uh, the length that a race is a big thing that comes into it is the tire management aspect and Hamilton seems to be the best out of that of most of most of the people on the grid and I do think that's a weakness of uh, Bottas compared to Lewis managing the tires because there was quite a few times where Lewis could extend the life of the tyres that he had whereas Bottas kind of dropped off the pace of it and uh, struggled to keep up with Lewis uh, like in Portugal how, how big was that gap when Lewis crossed the line was it about 25 30 seconds? yeah. yeah was... winning margin of the season
1: yeah no yeah it's true it's a good point actually because I think in the past a lot of people have seen Hamilton as someone with he's a really quick driver he's got really strong pace but um, in terms of kind of managing the race, uh, he's not the best. You know, I think um, when you look back to his McLaren years alongside Jensen Button, Button often got the upper hand on him through that kind of race management. Um, but, th- I mean, in the last few years, and this year especially, he's, like you said, managing his tyres. He's be- he's become, I'd say, maybe with the exception of Sergio Perez, who's yeah always, always been a bit of a tyre whisperer. I'd say Hamilton... <laughs> probably is probably is the best on the grid in terms of that now um I mean and and when you put that with his pace you know I mean he can manage his tyres but still set purple laps on them um yeah
0: you know he can can still win a race with three tyres left on his car
1: yeah that was that was unbelievable um that
0: was unbelievable unfortunately I missed that race but I went on my phone like to look on the posts and I'm looking at like Hamilton win I was like oh yeah fair enough I kind of saw that coming, but then I looked at his car in like Park Fermi and I was like, what on earth happened there?
1: Yeah. I think that was at the point of the season where everyone was getting a bit bored with the Mercedes domination as well. Yeah. And then, and then they go and win a race with literally three wheels. But yeah, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's got in terms of one lap pace, he's one of the strongest around race craft, one of the strongest around tire management now. I mean, yeah, looking ahead to 2021, it's, uh, it's really hard to see him not getting his eighth title, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Well, sometimes you have like your doubts, thinking, oh, can he keep up with this consistent performance that he's been doing for years? And he just keeps, he just keeps doing it. He just keeps proving all the doubters wrong, and he just seems to get better and better every year. And he's, he's getting older and older, and I'm just wondering when's it gonna stop. <laughs> When's he going to reach his peak? Because he himself even says he doesn't think he's reached his peak yet. And he's 35 years old. It must be concerning for all the young ones who want to break his records once he retires.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at Max Verstappen. uh, And yeah, he's still considered young. But he's been on the grid for, you know, a good six, seven years going on. Um, And he obviously hasn't got his chance at a title. And... With Hamilton around and with Mercedes in that form, he might not get it for a good while. I mean, you know, Hamilton's 35. Kimi Raikkonen's still going strong, at, you know, into his 40s. So, yeah. by that logic, we could see Hamilton, if he has Dakar, winning the title for I, a good three more years at the least. It's
0: double digits, do you reckon?
1: I think that's entirely his choice, to be honest. I think if he wants to stick around, yeah. then I think he, can, he, I think he will hit 10. Um, yeah. I mean... That obviously depends on his team. I mean, we've got the regulation changes. But in terms of driving alone, I can't see why why he wouldn't get to double d- digits if, if he's got the car.
0: Yeah, like you said, if if, the, if he keeps having the car for it and with the skill that he's got, it's, the combination, it's, they're just unstoppable. So if they can keep up their domination next year and once the regulations change, yeah, I I, I can't see why he won't get at least another three like you said breaking all the records that he did is why i think this has been one of his strongest seasons yet
1: yeah in in the car out of the car i think he'd probably say it was the the year he's uh proudest of i think yeah um and yeah looking ahead to who could beat him and who could stop him from hitting uh double digits i think for me the only man that if you put him in the same car, is as good as Hamilton right now, um, is Max Verstappen. Yeah. So, you know, let's take a bit of a look at his season. Obviously, he, I don't know, he. I guess he didn't have the year he hoped. He would have hoped that Red Bull would have built a bit of a better car and he would have been able to fight for the title. But um, in terms of his driving alone, I mean, I think he was up there with Hamilton and I don't think it could have gone much better for him, really, could
0: it? I think uh, Verstappen showed a, great maturity this year compared to other seasons that he's had in the past. I think uh, the season opener were very disappointing for him because of the retirement that he suffered and Austria's red, one of Red Bull's strongest tracks. So that sort of set the tone for a bit of a disappointing season. But, I mean, he, he took it in his stride, to be fair to him, and he, he kept pushing and he, he always had seemed to have a positive attitude
1: he he was almost, i think the complete driver this year a bit like hamilton and that he did add another another string to his bow uh, you know he he's always been really quick he's always been a great overtaker but we've seen a lot in the in previous years that's come back to come back to bite him because he's been a bit too aggressive and i don't think we really saw that this year you know um i think in the cases where he did end up uh, having contact most of the time it wasn't really his fault. I think there was Turkey where he got a bit too close to Perez and ended up spinning out. I think maybe that was a a bit of the old Verstappen there, you know, getting so close to Perez um, when he could have waited until a few corners later. But aside from that, I don't think he really did much wrong the whole season. Um, and I mean, that's reflected in when you compare him to Alex Albon. I mean, it was, it was the most dominant teammate head to head of any of them, I think. So, yeah, like I said, I think he's the one driver on the grid that, if he has the car, I think could genuinely beat Hamilton um, in a title fight. This
0: is a this is quite a bad way to put it, but I think Albon may have been Verstappen's handicap for his uh, chance at pushing for the Mercedes. Because as a team, I'm sure Red Bull would have wanted Albon to be up there supporting Verstappen's attack. Uh, Which And it it proved that it does work in the last race of the season uh, where Verstappen had got ahead of the Mercedes and then Albon was close enough to Lewis Hamilton in third to prevent him from making a pit stop and switching up the strategy a bit to try and unsettle Verstappen and unsettle Red Bull's strategy. But throughout the majority of the season, yeah, Albon's not really been there at all, has he? It's
1: a hard one to to judge Albon's ability on, I think, because like you say, Gasly also struggled in it. And you look at it and you have, you know, the level, the, the gap between Verstappen and Gasly and then Verstappen and Albon, you look at that and you, you do wonder if there's something more than just the driving, you know, if the car was built purely for Verstappen's quite um, unique, distinctive yeah. driving style. Um, because I mean, when you look at how Gasly's performing now, for example, you think that the gap between him and Verstappen shouldn't have been that big, you know, unless Verstappen is actually a lot better than we all realise and it's just unbelievable. But, yeah, you do, I mean, it's not the first time Red Bull have had this issue, is it either, you know? I think they... I don't know, they did it with Vettel as well when Webber was there. I guess they, they choose to get behind one driver and that kind of comes at the expense of the other one.
0: I think, I think the uh, environment... The, the the team environment the behind the scenes stuff that we don't really see I think that takes quite a big effect I'm sure because I'm sure Albon definitely would have felt that it was mostly about Max Verstappen and I think like you said yeah the, the, I think the car was designed for Max Verstappen's driving style and if if Albon doesn't feel like his needs are being put into consideration is it that's a that's a factor that's going to uh, kill his motivation right from the get go if you don't have your team backing you, there's not a lot you can do,
1: yeah, it is fair to say he didn't drive as well as he could have done, I don't think in that car, um regardless of whether that's because the car was difficult to drive or not, and the performances just they weren't really good enough i think um i you know even when he got podiums, he sort of lucked into it uh I think, yeah. you know a lot of people say Abu Dhabi was his best performance of the season and that's definitely the case and he did stop the Mercedes drivers from doing whatever they wanted with strategies there um, but ultimately he was still a long way off Verstappen I think half a minute or so so I think you don't want to be too harsh on him because no. I think it was a difficult situation but uh, yeah it wasn't it wasn't a good season for him really was it?
0: No it wasn't I think I think we Time will tell when Perez gets in that second car. Like I said, a man with a bit more experience and we'll actually see if it is a case of Verstappen's just incredibly talented. Well, we know he's incredibly talented, but if he's just that much more talented than anyone else who gets in that Red Bull car or if Perez can use his experience to get to grips with the car quicker and then put a bit of pressure on Verstappen.
1: Well, that brings us... Nicely on to kind of moving into the midfield, actually. I mean, you know, obviously McLaren topped it, but we will start with Perez just because we're on the Red Bull discussion now. Yeah, I mean, obviously he, he got the seat at Red Bull largely because of Albon's struggles. But I mean, I think an even bigger factor was just just how good he was this season. I mean, nobody would disagree that this was his his best season in the sport. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And I mean... You know, could you go as far as saying he was the driver of the season?
0: Yeah, it was his strongest season so far. And for having 10 years in the sport, that that definitely means something. And I think from from Turkey onwards, the performances he put in then are what really secured that Red Bull seat for him. The P2 in Turkey, the, the he did the same level of tyre management as the race winner Hamilton did. So that can't be taken away from him. And then... To, to win the race from uh, last on the first lap in um, Sakia, it, it was incredible. I was so happy to, for him when he crossed the line.
1: Yeah, I, I think he was probably the most kind of universally popular winner that we could have got, to be honest. Yeah, it was something he deserved, not just for his driving this season, but for his career as a whole, um, because, you know, he has sort of developed the reputation for being a bit of a midfield specialist. Yeah. And he's he's always been one of the best in the midfield and you've kinda of always thought, you know, I wonder what he can do in a top car because I I know it was at McLaren, but that was a top team, but it wasn't the top car. Um no. a bit like Hamilton, he just rose to the occasion, didn't he? You know, I mean he did, yeah. Hamilton had the pressure of those records and he, he rose to the occasion there and Paris had the pressure of his, his future in Formula One really. Um
0: and I think Sorry, he did it all, having contracted coronavirus as well and coming back from that halfway through the season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think as well, when you look at his performances, there was a, a noticeable kind of improvement as soon as it was announced that Aston Martin Racing Point slash Aston Martin would be going for Vettel for 2021. I think that kind of sparked a fire inside him. And yeah, he just, he rose to the occasion, you know, he rose to the challenge so well. To the point where, yeah, like you said, he missed two races because of coronavirus and yet he still finished still finished P4 in the standings um, and a long way ahead of his teammate, Lance Stroll. Yeah, I w- won't talk too much about 2021 now because that's for a 2021 season preview. But um, <laughs> yeah, looking ahead to Paris at Red Bull, do you think with him there, we can get a bit of a fight for the Constructors' Championship at least?
0: That all depends on the car that Red Bull can give them. Um... Like this this year, they had well, they had one driver who could have pushed for that, but they, they didn't have the the reliability for it and the, and they got caught out. they got a bit unlucky sometimes. Um, so I'm hoping that Red Bull can deal with any reliability issues that they had this year and just be a bit more consistent for the next. And I think with the driver lineup that they've got, it's looking very promising.
1: That driver lineup it's maybe, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of contenders for drivers in the season, but definitely, I think, I'd think i say they've got two of the top five drivers of 2020 in their car next year. Um, definitely, yeah. Yeah, which is, it, it's not a bad place to be in. I think it does it does justify their decision to, to move away from their young driver program for the first time since 2007. You know, I think when you've got a driver like Perez driving as well as he is, you can't really turn that down especially when you're up against a competitor like mercedes who are just not not quite flawless but you know they're not far off over the course of a season there yeah they're pretty darn good like you said it does depend on the car and if red bull don't get it right and can challenge mercedes they may well be looking over their shoulder to um mclaren because yeah. i mean you know they've got a mercedes engine next year they got daniel ricardo next year um before we look at that, I mean, 2020 was, well, it was their best season in a long, long time, you know, and probably since maybe 2012, I think, because, you know, they did end up in the P3 in the, in the Constructors' Championship, uh, and I don't think they had a stand-up driver, like, you know, I mean, uh, Racing Point had Perez at an unbelievable level, Renault had Ricardo. but I think what, what kind of, what ended up, you know taking p3 in the constructor championship for mclaren was just how strong lando norris and carlos sainz um, were as a pair and as a team don't you think
0: yeah i, I, I was going to say it myself they they just performed so well as a team the drivers and just the mechanics everyone just it the the, the way they performed at the race in abu dhabi it was a testament to their whole season really they were just uh, they were just solid can't fault them they if they had a better car i'm sure they would have been pushing for podiums every race
1: yeah yeah because i mean in terms of the pace of the car alone they were probably on average maybe the fifth fastest i think below racing and renault but yeah like you said they were just i mean not only did the two drivers both perform which can't really be said about racing point or renault but um Mm. they didn't have reliability issues really I mean, they didn't make many mistakes in terms of strategies or pit stops. Uh, They just, I mean, they just got everything out of the package they had, really. And yeah, like I said, they've got a Mercedes engine next year. I mean, if they operate as well as that, with Ricardo coming in as well, I think um, we could be looking at them fighting for podiums on a regular
0: basis, uh, at the very least. Um, I think, yeah, my prediction for next season is we're going to see a a cheeky Daniel Ricardo win.
1: No, don't get my hopes up.
0: (laughs) Uh, He's going to be sending it down the inside. Last of the late breakers, you can guarantee it.
1: Yeah, I'd love to see that because I think... um, Well, yeah, I mean, we can move on to that now, Ricardo, because, I mean, you know, he's another driver, I think, who, like Hamilton and Perez, is becoming one of the best when it comes to tyre management as well, actually. Um, Yeah. And, yeah, I think this season was... He said it himself, he said it was his most... He said it is the most satisfying season um, for a long time. I think since 2016, I think he said. And in terms of his driving as well, I mean, I think this was maybe the best he's looked yet. Um, what do you think?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been definitely his best season since he joined Renault. And yeah, he, 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 did, he did really well. He's waited so long there to get the podiums that he promised Cyril so early on and uh, he finally got them, and two uh, consecutive podiums as well. It, it was great to see, and he drove, he drove really well this year. He um, he carried the team, I think mm, it has to be yeah. said, with his performances, because moving on to Esteban Ocon, uh, I, I think he, he really needs to step up next year to try and keep his seat, to be honest, because I think... The team would have expected more from him. I certainly expected more from him, and he just didn't seem to rise to the challenge.
1: When he lost his seat on the grid back at the end of 2018, I think the consensus was that that was really unfair on him um, because he had looked like a really exciting young talent. And yeah, maybe it was the year out, maybe it was just coming up against a driver as good as Ricardo, but. He just didn't didn't really perform, and I think that that cost Renault ultimately in their fight to, in their efforts to try and get P3. Because I mean, if you have two drivers at the level of Ricardo performing at the level of Ricardo, then you're set. Um, yeah, I think that you know that showed in McLaren where they had two drivers performing pretty much well, yeah, completely evenly. I don't think there was anything between signs and Norris throughout the year. Of the three teams, I, I think they they they'd all be pretty happy with how their seasons went really wouldn't they i mean maybe racing point not so much because it was a case of unfulfilled potential but um i mean generally i think it was um, a stronger year for all of them wasn't it
0: yeah definitely it was i mean with with racing point they'll have to uh, move on from this season uh, with their head held high because they they seem to have everything against them as at some points with uh, both the driver's uh, contracting coronavirus and having to miss races and then they got the points deduction didn't they for the uh
1: yeah
0: for having the i, can't, I don't know what it was specifically i've forgotten but it, something to do with having a pink mercedes
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think it was uh i can't remember brake Ducks, i think brake Ducks,
0: but yeah
1: Feels like so long ago now
0: <laughs> when you look back and think about it that cost them didn't it that that was yeah. the difference
1: yeah. I mean, they, they, they comfortably would have got P3 without that. Um, and I mean, you know, they won a race, they got pole position at a race. They got three further podiums, I think two or three, it was a good season for them. And uh, they also had pretty dodgy reliability to be fair. So I think, you know, all three of them racing point McLaren and Renner can be pretty happy with how their, how their 2020s went. Um, but ultimately, they all had much better 2020s, largely because of the fact that Ferrari had a complete
0: disaster over year. I knew where you were going with this.
1: Yeah, yeah, it had to be had to be said. I mean, uh, you know, the fact is that McLaren only got P3 because Ferrari completely dropped off. So in a way, it was it was a good thing for the for the sport. You know, got to see a lot more teams and drivers in the mix. But uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't particularly enjoyable to see, was it?
0: No, I mean, we, we thought the season would be a three-horse race, but this prancing horse was just left in the stables, wasn't it? It was just, it was just, I couldn't believe it. I remember early st- at the early stages of the season, when the first time Seb Vettel didn't make it into Q3, everyone was like, oh, wow, what, what's going on? What's happening here? But then by the end of the season, it was surprising if he made it, if he if he made it out of Q2, everyone was just like, oh, yeah vettel's vettel's qualified p11 it's that's that's normal now apparently
1: everyone was in denial about it for so long as well yeah I think. like i remember texting a friend after testing and i was like oh ferrari don't look good i think they could be dropping down the midfield and he was like nah it's ferrari that's not gonna happen you know they're probably just sandbagging and i Sandbag, mean
0: they're doing the mercedes strategy
1: yeah yeah literally and then even after the first race because leclerc somehow ended up on the podium and you're still sort of telling yourself like, ah, yeah, I guess, it, I guess we were all just overly worried. And then after that, it, it did become clear that they were actually, you know, in the uh, genuinely P6, sometimes P7 in the pecking order, um, because of, largely because of that horrendous engine they ended up having after being handicapped uh, by the FIA.
0: They really got caught out at the, the before the start of the season with that. The decline in performance. It's, it's 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 incredible how they can go from two years ago they were pushing Mercedes for titles and now they're they're battling for points on the 1000th Grand Prix. It's just a, it's just a bit unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it is because I mean 2017 and 2018 they they built a fairly even car to Mercedes and then 2019 you wonder what happened because 2019 was it was a decent year you know they got a few wins and pole positions but it becomes clear that was all because of an illegal engine, basically, you know? Yeah. And you just wonder, between 2018 and 2019, what the hell the rest of the team was doing in terms of building that car, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, the chassis, the aerodynamic, I mean, the only good thing was the engine, um, which is a pretty risky place to be in when you're taking advantage of a loophole, because if you get caught out for that, it's going to go pretty badly, which it did. Um, yeah, it did. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, with the resources they have, you do just wonder how that, that happens. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it seems like it's hard to see that happening at a team like Mercedes or Red
0: it is very, Yeah, it's very hard to see that happening. I mean, I remember hearing like with Mercedes, when Mercedes won their uh, constructors this year, the um, Sky News reporters were saying like that all the team just have respect for them because they've done it by the book and they've deserved it. Whereas Ferrari like you say 2019 had the illegal engine part that's just i i i, I lost a bit of respect for the team then because it's it's like we've, you've got to play the game fairly or there's no point in being there at all i i honestly believe that their 2019 wins should have been stripped from them to mm. be honest yeah it was
1: uh, yeah definitely not the only one who thinks that, i think um and I think this is maybe what they needed. It was um, a bit of a wake up call, really. And yeah, I, I do think the F- like a lot of people, I think the FA should have been a bit harsher um, in the punishment. But at well, least it was Ferrari,
0: um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is.
1: Yeah, Ferrari international assistance, as Martin <laughs> Brundle once called them. Um, but I I think this was, you know, it-, it wasn't that harsh punishment. But it actually turned out to be a lot harsher than we all thought at first because it sent them plummeting down to the back of the midfield. Um, and yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. So in terms of the drivers, I mean, I think obviously there was a big old gap between Leclerc and Vettel. Um, do you think that was, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there could be a lot of reasons for that. There could be uh Ferrari were kind of favoring Leclerc because he's staying and Vettel's was going. Could be Vettel was just couldn't really be asked because he's on his way out. Um, <laughs> Or do you think it's just you know a genuine gap? Do you think the 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 difference between the two of them is really that big at this point?
0: I, I don't think Charles Leclerc is that much better than Sebastian Vettel. The man's a four-time world champion, and I think he's still he still got the skill within him. Tur- the Turkish Grand Prix was a big showcasing of that, where like we where the clerk made a bit of a a, a a naive mistake trying to to take that P2 and the final corner and Seb just slipped through to get the the P3 on the podium. Uh, but other than that, I think Seb just seemed to struggle with the car all season. At the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix, I remember hearing him on the radio saying, your car's undrivable. And I wonder how many times he's thought that throughout the year, because he's, he's done a fair few uh, spins, a few Sebastian Vettel signature spins over the over the past few years. But I also think he would have felt very demotivated after the way Ferrari handled the situation of announcing that he won't be with the team after the 2020 season. I think the way the Ferrari handled that was quite poor as well. I don't think they gave him the treatment and respect that he deserves for what he's done for them.
1: Yeah, I think he does deserve some credit for sticking around and not just calling it a day after being dumped by Ferrari. I think that's someone who really... Who really loves what they do? But, I mean, here's a question for you. If I told you at the start of the season that he'd finished the season below Pierre Gasly in the standings, would you have believed me?
0: I wouldn't have believed you, no. Know? And if, if you'd have also said that uh, Pierre Gasly is, had won a Formula One race, I'd have told you to get out of the room.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that says it all, doesn't it? Um, you know, there's not a massive amount to say about Tower, really. They were kind of in their own. No man's land, you know, they were yeah. b- quite a bit behind the rest of the midfield, but uh, way ahead of the back markers. But I mean, Pierre Gasly alone gives us a lot to talk about, doesn't he? With it, with this, with these performances,
0: his story after such a short time in the sport is, is incredible. Um, it was such a sweet, sweet redemption for him to get that, um, to get that win at Monza. I couldn't believe it. It was absolute scenes when he crossed the line i still watch it back now and that have you seen the video with the uh, french commentary
1: yeah 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 that's
0: that's the best sports broadcasting moment i've ever seen that beats for me that beats the aguero moment at the (laughs) in the premier league to be honest
1: i think when i look back at the kind of the highlights of the season i think for some reason, that that Gasly win really does stand out ahead of even ahead of the Perez victory. I think it was maybe just the kind of the raw emotions from it, you know, like him on the team radio, and especially everything he's been through. I think it was it was a real fairy tale fairy tale ending to to the to a story for him. But of course, it's, it wasn't just an ending because I mean he went on to have a pretty bloody good season after that as well.
0: Oh he did yeah I mean up at, even before that point he was performing really well in in Belgium in Spa he had uh, the race of his life until Monza where he had the race of his life because <laughs> he won <laughs> and then after that point he uh, he just he just took off from there uh, and he had an in, he had an incredible season it, it it was really good to see with the way he was just dropped from Red Bull like that and uh, it's it's like Lewis Hamilton said as well, he was very happy for him when he won the race at, at Monza. I know Lewis lost it in the way he did. He was very frustrated, but he said he, he couldn't be happier for Gasly just because of how he got dropped from the top team of Red Bull. And now he's he's gone out and beaten them. It must have been such a fulfilling feeling for him.
1: Yeah, it was just, it was redemption for him, I think. Definitely. Um, I, I think he did show just... Just how good a driver he is, actually. I think he, I can see him going the way of Signs now, where he does escape from the Red Bull program, which I don't think is particularly good for him, and ends up having a having a pretty good career outside of it. You know, I mean, Signs has ended up at Ferrari, which I know isn't the best car right now, but it is still a top team. And I think, you know, with the with with how Gasly drove, if he continues like that, he could end up, you know, there's rumors linking into Alpine, you know, which. I could see happening, um, whether that be because Alonso retires after a year or Ocon is dropped. But yeah, I mean, I think he did everything this year to show that, uh, I mean, I think he did deserve that Red Bull seat again. I, I, don't, don't, know, think is.
0: He, I don't think he wants it.
1: No, no, I, I, mean, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing that he didn't get
0: it. The pressure at Red Bull just seems a bit, it's just surmountable. The, the pressure that Helmut Marko puts on his drivers... I just don't think it's a good way to handle young drivers, putting all that pressure on them. It ultimately just leads to a decline in performance. I mean, Verstappen's an, an exception just because of how talented that young man is. But other drivers, just some people just don't have that same way of dealing with pressure.
1: I think there's three drivers in the midfield in 2020 that kind of proved the error of Marco's ways in, in how he treats them. And I think as well in how how much he favours Verstappen because... Yeah. You know, three of the standout drivers on the grid uh, in the midfield, well, on the grid as a whole, really, were Ricardo, Signs, and Gasly. You know, they're three drivers that ultimately Helmut Marko didn't treat particularly well. And now they're proving to be three of the best on the grid.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm hoping that Gasly can keep on just getting better and better from where he's from where he's at now. Because he's, he's found somewhere where he's comfortable in the team environment at Alpha Tauri. And... That we've seen that he he he's their number one quite clearly. They'll back him to the moon and back. So I'm just hoping that he can take that and keep developing and getting better and better and then hopefully he can get with a more competitive team in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh that's probably what he wants and what what we all want really. Um I mean obviously Afetari are becoming a, a sister team rather than a junior team now. So there's there's hope for that competitive team being them but I can't see Red Bull allowing them to develop yeah. too much, really. No, but, well, from one Frenchman to another, you know, moving on to the back of the grid, I think the only place we can start really is with Roman Grosjean, probably the biggest story towards the back of the field. Um, And sadly, it was for, for well, not for the right reasons in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah, it was for his crash in Bahrain, which I think is going to be, you know, I think in history is going to go down as, Maybe the or one of the most memorable moments of 2020 in Formula One.
0: That yeah, might be one of, one of the most memorable moments of the the high, the turbo hybrid era.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know it was the manner of the crash for one, the the explosion and how he just went through the barriers. But I think what 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 really made it memorable was the fact that he climbed out of it and got out pretty much unscathed. I mean that's a, it was a massive moment for the sport in that in that aspect, wasn't it?
0: Watching those images back, it's it's just amazing that he he got out of that alive, and it's a true testament to the work that the FIA and Formula One have done to just improve the safety of the sport. Because if that if that happened thirty to twenty years ago, I don't think he'd have survived.
1: As recent as you know, ten years ago, the The Halo,
0: the Halo. Yeah, I'm thinking of like back in the the nineties how the cars were, but the the Halo was what saved his life actually wasn't it because it the way he went into the barrier if the halo wasn't there the first thing that would have met that barrier would have been his head
1: yeah yeah um i mean there was people did some like little uh animations of of what the halo did and what would have happened without the halo and i mean it really did save his life i think it was a it brought an end to that debate that we've had for the last few years about it
0: yeah I was a bit sceptical about it when it first came into the sport just because of how it made the car look, but if it's it, it's it's shown its importance not just in Grosjean's crash but in many other incidents since its arrival in protecting the drivers and that's what's more important. It, yeah. we're, we're, quite, we're quite privileged to complain about how it makes the car look ugly or whatever, but at the end of the day, if it protects a driver's life, that's what's more important.
1: Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget that that is what's the most important thing because we get these kind of crashes more and more rarely. So it's easy to think that aesthetics is the most important thing, but then something like that happens and it really makes you realize. And yeah, I mean, I think it is a credit to the sport in a lot of ways um, how how it ended up, the accident, because, I mean, the halo saved his life, the safety set of the car remained pretty much intact, His his um his clothing, you know, they protecting him from the fire there were obviously the um the on the, the staff that came to his rescue pretty quickly I mean yeah yeah it just it went as well as that sort of crash could go really
0: it was over in 20 seconds wasn't it but like Grosjean said it was the longest 20 seconds of his life
1: it, it, like I said it's easy to forget it but I mean you know these guys in every way are just just unbelievable athletes really mentally to have to have the balls to do this for a living uh
0: definitely uh, they, if, they don't get the credit they deserve uh, no, they just dri- they just drive around in circles no it's much more than that
1: <laughs> yeah it's like the g-forces that grogian experienced in his crash i think if that was any old person i think they they would have died on impact you know yeah. let alone yeah. stayed conscious Yeah, it was really unbelievable. And I think those images of him climbing out, they are going to go down in in the history of the sport. Um, And, you know, look, in terms of the the racing, my unpopular opinion is that, you know, obviously Haas ended up not bottom. And I think that was actually because they did have quite a strong driver lineup, you know. I think a lot of people would have said Grosjean Magnussen isn't the strongest lineup. But ultimately, they got three points for their team in a car that I don't think was any better than the Williams. And I think it was largely because of, Uh, you know two pretty strong drives on there but
0: yeah I don't think I don't think Magnussen and Grosjean get the credit they deserve no I I think I have to agree with you on that one to be honest because they haven't been given a competitive car for a while I can imagine it's been quite difficult for Magnussen and Grosjean to receive the criticism they've got but they've they've not given up they've kept putting in the performances I am a bit disheartened that they've they're out of the sport now because I did. I did like them both. They were, they were great people and great drivers. That unfortunately are going to leave F1 without the yeah, like I said, without the credit that they deserve for what they've done.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it's going to be a case of that Haas and well, the world of F1 in general really didn't didn't realise what a strong lineup they were until they've left because I think with with two rookies next year and Mick Schumacher and uh, Nikita Mazepin I think I mean I, I think that Haas are gonna end up rock bottom to be honest I think they'll finish below Williams in the standings and I mean really I think without Haas having two strong drivers um that would have happened this year because I think Williams did have a stronger car um and they had George Russell. Um, yeah, they had, and mean, they
0: had George Russell.
1: Yeah, I mean, moving on to him, I think he, uh, again, was, you know, maybe it, it maybe didn't go the way he wanted this season because he didn't get points for Williams and then his, his Mercedes weekend ended pretty badly uh, through no fault of his own. But in terms of driving, I mean, again, it was a immensely impressive season from him.
0: He outperformed that car so much, especially in qualifying. It, 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 I can't. I've lost track of the amount of times he managed to get it into Q2. Uh, it, it was, and yeah, it, it's hard to say how much that was the car. But when you can yeah. just
1: compare him to his teammate, there's no way that car should be making it to Q2. You know, Definitely I think Latifi not. got to Q2 once, maybe twice. I think. Whereas Russell did it on a pretty regular basis. I think a good eight or nine times. So I mean, yeah, that was pretty darn impressive. And then there was his his Mercedes weekend where he. Pretty much, I'd say considering the lack of experience he had in that car, he did he did get the better of Bottas, definitely.
0: I think he definitely did, yeah. Uh, I think Bottas was a bit uh, like like a, like all of his season a bit unlucky uh, because he was he was left hung out to dry a little bit on some old hard tyres. But the, that that can't discredit the performance George Russell put in the first time in the this top team seat, and he. He led the race comfortably, like he'd been used to doing it every week, up, yeah. until, up until the errors from the team. Yeah. He had the race of his life, and he wasn't given the reward that he deserved.
1: That's one of my biggest disappointments of what next year's lineup is, to be honest, because I think he, I, he really does deserve that Mercedes seat, and I just I wish he was given it now. That would be it. would Just be great to see, but um, yeah, he is staying at Williams ultimately, and you know, like I said, my prediction is that they will end up above Haas in the standards next year.
0: Um, I think 2020 is going to be an important stepping stone for the team's future, to be honest, because they've they've had the new owners taking over that uh, hopefully can bring a bit more investment. It was it was sad to see Claire and Frank go, but I think it's a necessary step to move the team forward because whatever the Williams family were doing. It just wasn't working, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, you know, new ownership. Um, George Russell, Mercedes engine. I mean, you know, I, I think if they make a bit more progress in their car, um, I think with Haas having a weaker lineup, I think... Yeah, I think they'll definitely not finish bottom. Well, I think that's just about all bases covered. Al- Romeo. Ah, yeah, you've uh, got anything to say about them. Um,
0: <laughs> just, well... Just a bit of a, a underwhelming season, really,
1: weren't it? Yeah, I, I don't. Know. I think the one takeaway from their season is that we can talk about is the fact that Kimi Raikkonen still got it.
0: Still got it, yeah. That what a lap that was in Portugal. That yeah. Opening lap, Incredible.
1: Yeah, that was one of the highlights of the season in itself, I think. And yeah, we've got him for another year at the least, so that's something. He's
0: gonna to be them. here when
1: he's fifty. I I it's... wouldn't be surprised at this point, honestly.
0: No, I wouldn't either
1: yeah well alex thanks for coming on Nice,
0: no, all right thanks for having me
1: so uh you know where can the listeners find you on social media going forward
0: so on twitter uh i am at uh, mcgee f1 with an, an underscore and instagram i am the same again mcgee f1 underscore so find me on social media there and hopefully i'll be back on for another podcast
1: yeah i think we could take a bit of a break for the pod now um i think we'll be back for the 2021 season preview probably at the start of march i mean obviously a lot depends on when testing's actually going to happen what the first race will actually be but um yeah that's when we'll be back uh and in the meantime you can find us uh on facebook our facebook is simply planet f1 um and our twitter is planet underscore f1 um and you can also keep an eye on our website, planetf1.com. And also if you do enjoy the podcast for this first season of Talking Point, then be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So uh yeah, thanks so much for listening to this episode and thanks so much for listening to the first season of Talking Point. And um yeah, we'll be back in a month or so to start season two. Bye.